It is good to see you all today, to see many familiar faces, to be back at this home that is a home for me at First United Methodist Church, Waynesville. Someone asked me before the service began if I would share what I've been up to this year, and I would not even have a clue where to begin. I heard someone say at our annual conference a few weeks ago down in Athens, Georgia, they said, a year in the life of a pastor is like a doggy year. It's as though it's had seven years crammed into one, and I would say, well, the year in the life of a, of a new pastor is even more than that. It has been a full year, and it feels like a long time since I've seen many of you. Perhaps that's due to the pandemic that we had. But I am so glad to be with you, to be back in this familiar place, to be in this pulpit with you this morning. And I want to bring you Christian love and a spirit of hospitality from the people of North Georgia, the North Georgia Conference of the United Methodist Church from Candler School of Theology at Emory University, which I know many of you are familiar with and attended or worked there. And I especially want to bring you the welcome of a small, tiny country church in the hills of Northeast Georgia in Dawson County, the people of McKee's Chapel. It's a gathering of believers that's only probably about 35 people strong this morning, but they are thinking of us, and I would like us to think of them as we begin um, as we continue in this service this morning. I invite you to pray with me. Lord of this Sabbath day, let me speak your word and let them hear your word. And let us, by your grace that draws all creation to itself, be formed once again into your body by that word. Amen. The lesson for this morning's sermon comes from the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth chapter. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male or female slave or your ox, or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the resident alien in your towns, so that your male and female slave may rest as well as you. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Once upon a time, there were these two church staffers, two staff members at a church, and they were sitting down together at the end of a long work week. It was a Friday afternoon, and one said to the other, what are you getting into this weekend? Do you have any weekend plans? And, and, and the one staffer responded, well, I actually have to be here at church tomorrow. I'm going to be running the Saturday morning ministries, and then I've got to set up for Sunday school. What about you? What's your weekend look like? The other said, oh, I've got that funeral, that funeral that's going to be going on in the afternoon, and then I've got to get the choir room ready for Sunday and set the sanctuary back up. They both sighed. And then one said in frustration, you know, I really wish for once I could have a day off. You know, we work all week, we come in on Saturdays, and then Sunday feels like anything but a holy day of rest. 
The other looked over and said, I hear you, I feel your pain, I know what you're saying, but let us remember that God never takes a day off. So why should we? God never takes a day off. I heard someone say that to me once. And both staff members, seemingly unaware of what the Bible actually has to say about God taking a day off, just sigh in agreement with each other. And had they remembered the first story of the first book of the Bible, they would have known that God indeed does take a day off. And had they read further, they would have known that it's much more than that. We call it Sabbath, and its story is woven through the entire scope of Scripture from the first story of the first book of the Bible to the last story of the last book of the Bible. It's so ubiquitous that I fear we often miss it. We can't see it. It's like a a beautiful painting, how a beautiful painting can hide the canvas and you forget it's even there. But it is there. Sabbath is always there. And I imagine that you know what Sabbath is. It's that thing that God does after all the work of creation is finished on the seventh day, right? Or it's that thing that we just read about in the fourth commandment from the Ten Commandments. Telling the people to remember it, to observe it, to keep it holy. But it's more than that. I know what it is. Maybe, maybe for you, as it is for me, it's that Sunday afternoon nap that you look forward to. You go home, you turn on the golf tournament. This is what golf tournaments are for. Putting you to sleep on a Sunday afternoon. Maybe that's what it is. Or maybe it's that thing that Keith and Chan are looking for right now. They're in Spain this morning. But, but I think it's more than that. You know what it might be? I know what it is. It's that thing that Chick-fil-A does on Sunday, right? <laughs> yeah. It's more than that. I was recently teaching a Bible study at my church in Georgia, and we were studying that first story of creation in Genesis. This story in which God transcendently speaks creation into existence. You know, it let there be light, and there was light. And it was good. God speaks creation into existence over six days, and then strangely on that seventh day, God stops and takes a break. God takes the day off. And I asked the class, what do you make of that seventh day? What do you think that's all about? And one of my parishioners, she's a cattle farmer, and somehow I think that's important information here, so you know my church, but one of my parishioners um, raised her hand and said, you know what I think that seventh day was about? Pastor Scott, she said, I think God came down to earth and God just threw an arm over old Adam and Eve and said, ain't it beautiful? Doesn't it look beautiful? Isn't it something? They just laughed and smiled together and took it all in. And I told her, I said, you know, your answer reminds me of what this guy named Bill Everett says. (laughs) Y'all know Bill, our resident theologian over here. And I think it's good when the cattle farmers and the theologians can get together. (laughs) Bill puts it like this. He says, Sabbath is the enjoyment of God's enjoyment in creation. 
the enjoyment of God's enjoyment in creation. I shared that with the class, and the cattle farmer just exclaimed, that's exactly what it is. And I asked the class, well, does it seem like something we should only do once a week for an hour when it fits our schedule? There's this movement I see in Scripture where Sabbath is always trying to break free from whatever box we've put it in. In Leviticus, we read about how the Sabbath is not only to be observed every seven days, but every seven years. They would call that a Sabbath year. And it was to be observed every seven times seven years. That was called the year of Jubilee. Jesus called it the year of the Lord's favor in the book of Luke. Whole years devoted to the Sabbath. Can you imagine what would happen if Chick-fil-A did a whole year devoted to the Sabbath? <laughs> but it is that radical. And more so. You don't just close up shop on the Sabbath year. No, it's more than that. Prisoners are released. The land is restored. Debts are forgiven. In a few minutes, we're going to read those words. Forgive our sins as we forgive others. Forgive us as we forgive in the Lord's Prayer. That's a Sabbath prayer. Fred Craddock, the great preaching professor at Candler, says, Sabbath touches the whole of creation with the grace of God. It touches the whole of creation. Sabbath says, no, time is not money. Time is something more than money. The earth is something more than its marketplace value. People are something more than what Pink Floyd said, just another brick in the wall. We are together the beloved creation of a living God, and Sabbath touches the whole of creation. And I have to admit this, I was reminded of this yesterday when I was walking down the street. I was walking down Main Street. Um, with my daughter. And as we walked, I was stuck inside my head, mulling over this morning's sermon, wondering how I was going to say things, what I really wanted to get across. The whole time, Ava Lee was just pointing over at things. Dad, look at those flowers. Dad, look at the mountains. Dad, there's a can on the, on the sidewalk. Let's pick it up and put it in the trash. And then she said the most Sabbath kind of thing you could ever say. She said, wow, look at that puddle. The untamed wonder of a child is pretty awesome. And she pulled me into that Sabbath moment. And our text for today is from uh, the book of Deuteronomy. It is pulling us into a Sabbath moment. It is pushing Sabbath into some larger context, I believe. The specific context is that of the Ten Commandments. You may remember that the Old Testament gives two versions of the Ten Commandments, one in Exodus, the other in Deuteronomy. And the two lists are, are mostly the same. They're even verbatim at times. But when it comes to the Fourth Commandment, the one we're dealing with today, there is a difference. Now, both versions tell the people to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, to work for six days, to rest for one to not live in ways that force others to have to work on your behalf. But in Deuteronomy, the writer adds this tag. Remember that you 
were a slave in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Sabbath pushes the people to not only stop working for a day, to not only take a break from the endless to-do lists of our lives, and they're much longer than that accordion file that, uh, that Becky held up. We know that. Sabbath calls us to remember, to remember together. And the memory it demands of us is not a pleasant one, is it? Specifically, the Bible instructs the people to remember Egypt and to remember slavery. And we all know just how hard a memory that is for us to keep. Not too long ago, a friend of a friend turned me on to these things in Germany called Stolpersteine. And that's literally translated as stumbling stones. We might think of it as a stumbling block. We use those words sometimes. But anyway, in Germany, there are over 70,000 Stolpersteine. And they're just small brass stones, about 10 centimeters square. And they're inserted into the cobblestone sidewalks. And each stone is placed outside the last known residence of a victim of the Holocaust. The stones list the name of the person that it's memorializing. And then it lists the manner in which the person died, if that is known. I read that in Hamburg there is this old building on one of the city streets. And in front of that building there are 34 Stolpersteine inserted in the sidewalk. That's because this building used to be a Jewish orphanage. Can you imagine walking by those stones on your way to work every day? What does it mean for a community to live their lives with these constant reminders of past evil? Well, one might say that it's because we, we must remember our past, otherwise we're doomed to repeat it, right? I'm sure I've heard that, and I think that's certainly part of it, but I think it goes further than that. James Baldwin, the great African-American civil rights writer and thinker, um, he pushes it a step further. For him, he says that the past is not just something to avoid repeating, but something that must be embraced, something that must be accepted and used as you forge into the future, as you forge a new future. Specifically, he says that to accept one's past is not the same thing as drowning in it. It is learning to use it. But I think there is still something more, something more going on with what it means to remember as our Sabbath observance. Some of you may recall the story of Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. In 2006, this small Amish community in Pennsylvania was, was wrecked when a gunman walked into the one-room schoolhouse and took five young lives and then took his own life. Sadly, we've become all too familiar with this kind of story, but there was something remarkable about that story, about that iteration of gun violence. I know many of you remember that. 
The community of nickel mines, with no coordination, with no uh, meeting of the elders, with no memo sent around, the whole community, as one, practiced radical forgiveness. Even the, the family members of the victims, even on the day of the tragedy, through tears, offered forgiveness to the perpetrator and to the perpetrator's family. This kind of radical forgiveness was memorialized in a movie called Amish Grace, which was a play on words of the hymn that we sing sometimes, Amazing Grace. And it was amazing. A community's forgiveness motivated by nothing more than a Christ-centered faith. A commitment to do as Christ did. And I've read many things about uh, what compelled this community's response to be so Christ-like. One theologian reflected on the event, saying that to the Amish, forgiveness is less a matter of forgive and forget, and more forgive and remember. Remembering in ways that bring healing. He writes, When we remember... We take the broken pieces of our lives, lives that have been dismembered by tragedy, lives that have been dismembered by injustice, and we remember them into something whole. Remember. What the Amish understood that day. And what the Stolpersteine are teaching the people of Germany to understand still today is what I believe the writer of Deuteronomy understood so many generations ago. A community that remembers together is a more whole community, is a community that is walking the path of healing. And it's all about healing and wholeness when you're talking about Sabbath. It's all about remembering even those things that we might prefer to forget in our personal lives and the community's lives. Because Sabbath is all about wholeness and healing. And I have to say, anyone who was here at this church three weeks ago on June 19th for your service, which was a remembering service... I think you know what the kind of power, um, what Sabbath remembering is all about. I think you know that kind of power. I wasn't able to be here, but I got to watch the video online. I got to hear that beautiful anthem of Lift Every Voice and Sing. I got to listen to Pastor Greg bring the sermon that day. And together as a community, we remembered. And we created some paths to future wholeness and healing. And so I wonder for you today, I wonder for me, what needs to be remembered in your life? What needs to be remembered in the life of the church? I think about those two staffers um, sitting with each other, weary from the daily grind of their ministerial labors, a weariness that I am familiar with, and justifying their own workaholism by assuming God's plan for their life is to just work them to death. God never takes a day off. Why should we? There's a loneliness in what they're saying. 
There's an isolation. And it results from the idea that church is a thing you do for the world rather than a way of being in the world. A way of being with the world. It is the dismembered experience of life in the church. I think it happens for a variety of reasons. I think we become dismembered when the church becomes a place of judgment at the door rather than a place of forgiveness and welcome at the altar. Church is more than that. I have to believe that. I come from a conference that just disaffiliated 70 churches. I have to believe that church is more than that. And I think we become dismembered when the church is unable to remember the past, the hard, difficult past to remember, whatever it may be. And I call this the God is good all the time syndrome. Do you know about that? Do you know about the God is good all the time syndrome? First of all, let me say God is good. God's goodness is over everything. God's goodness is beyond anything that I can fathom. But sometimes when we say that, I fear that we put God in a box, the box of those things that are good to us, the box of what we think is good. And we need to remember that God is able to receive not just the praises, but also the laments of our lives. I think it's a good thing to have a praise band. It's a good thing to have a praise choir. But sometimes what we need in church What I need is a lament band, is a lament choir. I need this because church, church is more than that. And I also think we become dismembered when we think of the church and its ministry as something that never stops, something that never rests, something that never takes a day off, kind of like a Waffle House, right? Sorry, I have to get both Georgia restaurants into my sermon. Um... Something that we do rather than a way of being with each other and with God. Church is more than that. And I must say, what if the real ministry is in the stopping? What if the real ministry that the church has to the world is in the resting? What if the real ministry is the way we remember with a dismembered world? That's what I've been thinking about a lot lately. But I have to tell you, while I know that all churches, including my little church in Georgia and including this church that means so much to me and my family, while I know that all churches struggle against these gravitational forces that that draw us away from each other, that draw us away from God, that draw us away from creation, I must say that I'm glad to be at FUMC Waynesville today because the reason that I am even here to begin with is because this church is doing something that few churches seem to do. This church is offering Sabbath, specifically to Keith and Chan. (laughs) You have given the gift of Sabbath to Keith and Chan. And what a priceless gift that is. What a special gift that is. It's such an important thing. I wish more churches did it. I attended my brother-in-law's Um, ordination in the Presbyterian Church earlier this year, and they do ordination a little bit differently in the Presbyterian Church. He was called to this church in Georgia, and then that church ordained him with the Presbytery. 
And so at his ordination service, um, the, one of the pastors who was leading it stood up at some point in the service and addressed the congregation and said, now this is what you have to do as the congregation. They said, you must remember that your pastor is in need of Sabbath just like you are. Your pastor needs are no different than yours. And so I want to commend you, FUMC, well done for giving Keith and Chan a Sabbath. Now, don't forget Becky. <laughs> and, and don't forget the staff. I worked here for eight years. I know how hard the work is. So don't forget the staff. They all need to remember the Sabbath, and they all need to be remembered by Sabbath observance. And it needs to happen often. It shouldn't be the thing you think of after all the work is done. It needs to happen often. So don't forget them, and do not forget yourselves. Do not forget yourselves. And don't forget each other. Remember. Remember because the church is so much more than that. Remember because you are so much more than that. Remember? Remember?